This is kind of cool. Right in your <laughs> right in your lap this morning, so <laughs> down here on the floor. <laughs> I just stand up here and yeah. you have to forgive me. I'm I think I'm getting a cold, pretty nasty one here. I'm starting to you know, colds aren't all bad though, because whenever whenever I get a cold, I I can sing bass. Normally, I sing tenor, but uh, today I'm. Duh, duh, duh. I like that when I'm riding the, I'll be driving home or something. I'll uh, if I got a cold, I'll be singing in the car, trying to see how low I can get. And you don't do that when anybody's around because they think you're crazy. But swing low, low, low. And you try to get down there as far as you can and. Well, you know, I think church is a wonderful place to, uh, to to have a good time. I was talking to somebody once, and and I said, "Being a Christian's fun." And they looked at me like, "Are you crazy? Christians are boring." There ain't nothing fun about that. And I'm like, "Oh, you don't know. You don't know all the, the crazy things you know people do. And just because you become a Christian doesn't mean that you've." You've doomed yourself to a life without any kind of joy or happiness or, you know, we're not a, you know, we don't become Christians to mope around life, Uh, you know. Uh, No, I mean, being a Christian, uh, you know, the Christian life, it is something that that brings joy, happiness. Yesterday I was talking to Kayla, we were coming home from her her game and, uh, and uh, they won a game. It was a great game. Uh, unfortunately, Kayla, Kayla didn't get to play very much. And so, uh, you know, it was fun. And we won, but she, I, mean, I know she was bummed out a little bit. You know, didn't get in as much as, she, as you know, she would like to. And so we're heading home, and, and her brother starts picking on her. He wanted to, like, uh, he was trying to mess with the thing on the side of the seat, trying to pull it so she'd like fall, flop backwards. And I'm like, leave her alone, don't, don't mess with her. You know, and then she said something to him, and next thing you know, everybody's getting silly, and we're, we're clowning around and, and having a good time, and Caleb, wanna, he wanted Taco Bell. Okay, Taco Bell. So we go to Taco Bell, and we go there, and then it's like, where do you want to eat? Well, let's go to, to the Dairy Queen. So we went to the Dairy Queen, and Kaylin's in the back seat holding up his Taco Bell to the the lady up there showing her we ain't Taco Bell, you know, teasing her. And then the lady taking our order, uh, <laughs> she sounded like a, a, a little kid. It was, it was really funny. It was like, can I help you today? <laughs> Kayla's like, yes. <laughs> so we get chicken strips and the whole thing. It was just, it was fun. I love those moments when we can do that. And it reminded me of a conversation I had with, with Jimmy. Jimmy's sort of my uh, my sounding board. Sometimes I, you know, because I, I see Jimmy often. and We're talking about how serious people take things. And Jimmy was like, yeah, people take things too serious. People need to lighten up a little bit. And I got to thinking about that. That's right. We need to lighten up. Lighten up, Francis. You know, if we move on. I want to talk about finding joy today. Let's move ahead in our slide. I want to thank Eric for running up here and rescuing me with the notes. Uh, I forgot to give it to him before. 
Uh, you know, we may not always be happy as, as Christians, but we can always be be joyful. Okay, um, it can be pretty rough. I'll I'll admit that being a Christian sometimes. You know, when we we have new Christians and we talk to people about you know beginning a life in Christ, you know, you want to be straight up and forward with them. Uh, you know, when you become a Christian, you become let's face it, an enemy of the the world. And that, that's not a good position to find yourself in. When, and, uh, you know, oftentimes people come to Christ in moments of uh, despair when they're struggling and they're looking for something. They turn to Jesus in hopes that he'll make it better. And one of the unfortunate things is that when you become a Christian, although you will find joy in your life, it doesn't always make you happy. <laughs> when I became a Christian... Life got more difficult. Uh, And and it's the same for for many of you. Uh, It's not easy trying to live a life uh, in devotion to God when we're living in the society that we live in. So I don't want to be silly about it. Uh, I've heard many sermons and things on the radio. Does God want us to be happy? Well, sure, I think he wants you to be happy. But I think he wants us to be happy in things that, uh, that are eternal. Okay? There are many things in life that can bring us temporary happiness. I'm not so sure God's worried about that. But sometimes, you know, it can be rough, you know, being a Christian. And we can wonder sometimes, is there joy to be found? Can I be happy? Because sometimes people see God as a big grouch. He's a bore. God sits up there in judgment, and he doesn't want us to have any happiness at all. No fun. And, uh, you know, there's a difference between joy and, and fun, or happiness and, and joy. They're, they're different things. When I, if I, have a, when I was a little kid, uh, I, remember, I think my dad bought me a scratch-off lottery ticket. I didn't even know what it was. Oh, this is kind of cool. No one two dollars. Everybody wins two dollars, you know. Yes, you know. I'm like, ah, you know, I'd run around thinking I hit the big money, big money, and I was happy. This is great. So I took those two dollars and I went and bought two more tickets. And guess what? I lost it all. <laughs> Gone. I'm like, man. But for that tiny moment, I was really happy. But it didn't last long. And that, that's a, that, that could be a, a problem. God wants us to be happy, but he wants us to, to be joyful, I think, more so. Because joy is something that lasts. Joy is something that goes on and on, despite the circumstances that we often find ourselves in. It's not temporary like happiness can be. Last summer, my son Cody, he went with his friends to Nashville. It was a big trip. They all loaded up and took off to Nashville. Well, Cody's, I think he's 21. I don't even know how old my son is. Yeah, I think he's one. He's a man. <laughs> he's a big man is what he is. Anyway, so off they go to Nashville. None of his friends are Christians. And Cody's a Christian, but he has not reached a, a, a level of spiritual maturity at all and in his life. He's still a baby in a lot of ways. But off they go to Nashville, and I'm praying, oh, Lord, here we go. This is going to be, you know, you get four or five uh, 
21, 22-year-olds off to Nashville. This could get crazy. This could be, you know, here we go. So off they go, and and uh, Cody's texting me a while. They're going, yeah, Dad, we got to Nashville. Everything's good. Okay. A little bit later, I get a text. Hey, Dad, we're going to the Wild Horse Saloon. <laughs> I'm like, oh, man. Okay, have a good time. And so off they go to the Wild Horse Saloon, and the next day I get the whole uh, story about it, and I said, well, how'd it go? He goes, yeah, it was all right. I had a good time. I said, uh, everything go all right? He goes, yeah, no problem. He says, all my friends got totally blasted, but but I didn't. I, I still had a good time. I said, well, that's pretty cool. You didn't have to get drunk and and, and go nuts and at the Wild Horse Saloon. He goes, why would I want to do that? I'm like, all right, mom must have done a good job with him. <laughs> anyways, uh, you know, he's like, yeah, my friends are like, uh, hey, Cody, you know, have have a drink. And he's like, that's nah, all right, I don't need that. My other friend over here, he's not, he not 21 anyways, he can't drink, so we're going to stay with him. And and it got to be where they were, they had a ball making fun of their friends who were just, I mean, that's what friends do, you, you know, you tease each other and have a good time and. And Cody would say things to him like, well, how's it feel? You know, I see you're down there. You've got your, got your arms wrapped around the toilet. Having a good time? Wow. What fun. He's like, uh, Mr. Toilet, oh, nobody understands, you know, except for you, the old Cosby thing. Wakes up the next morning, and his friends are like, ah. He's like, Wow. That must be nice. What's it like to have a dead animal die in your mouth overnight? What's that taste like? And he's just just teasing them unmercifully. And I'm thinking, he, Cody is just having a ball. He didn't have to resort to getting loaded up and chasing girls and all, you know, none of that. He didn't have to. Because I think Cody understood, you know, yeah, happiness is great, but it doesn't last. Better to have joy. Better to have something that that goes on and on. You know, it's not always being a Christian. There are times uh, where we're not going to be happy. But we can always remain joyful in the Lord. Okay, so what I want to do is get into a little bit of history lesson here. And let's, let's move ahead. And... Uh, if you know anything about the Old Testament, the story of the, the, the Jew, it's the story of the Jewish nation. And the history of the Jewish people has always been one of, you know, where uh, they're in fellowship with God, and then they'll become unfaithful and disobedient. That'll require God to have to punish them, not because he's always mad and angry, but he loves them. You know, I'm, man, you know, I'm going to get you. So he punishes them, and then that follows a time of restoration, and then love again, and, and it's just a cycle that they tend to go through. It's funny how the, the history of the, the people of, of Israel, it kind of mirrors my life. I do the same thing. You know, I'll have moments where you know, God and I are tight, and then I'll get a little out of hand and lug out. Eventually, he'll bring me back. Well, God is a God of his of his word. And when he says something, he means it. And in this case, Judah and Israel, I mean, Israel, or the Jews had been split into two nations, the northern tribes, which uh, referred to them as Israel, and the southern group was Judah. 
And uh, they had lived the cycle of sin and then repentance. But finally, God had had enough of it, so he brought judgment upon them. In 722 A.D., the ten northern tribes of Israel would be scattered over the known world by the Assyrians. God used the Assyrians. These weren't the people of God. They came in and scattered them. Several centuries later, God used the Babylonians to come in, and they they sacked and destroyed and tore up Jerusalem and depopulated it. You can read about both of those in 2 Kings. And he did that because Judah had been unfaithful. And then they let them off to Babylon where they were thrown into captivity. This is a pretty harsh treatment. But God had had it with them. Okay. Now while they were locked up in Babylon, the Persians took over the Holy Land. Another group. Here they come. Move ahead here. Uh, you meet the new boss, same as the old boss. <laughs> the Persians take over the Holy Land. Well, they're no different than the other guys. And eventually you get a situation after about 70 years, a Persian king by the name of Cyrus will send the Jews back to Jerusalem. To Okay, okay guys, we're at a time of peace here. Uh, you, know, you guys go back to Jerusalem. When you get there, rebuild it. I mean, it's a dump. I mean, we, you know, the last people destroyed it. So you guys go there, fix up the temple, rebuild the walls. So it's a great time. The people were, were thrilled. And God picked a couple of, of individuals to, to lead him in that effort. One, a man by the name of Ezra, and another guy that I like to call the most famous butler in the world, a man by the name of Nehemiah. And if we move ahead, um, Nehemiah was a cupbearer. He's a butler. <laughs> He's like Alfred. You got Batman, and then you got Alfred there. He's kind of helping out. Well, Nehemiah is kind of like Alfred to the king. And Xerxes, the king of the Persians at the time. And by being the butler and being sort of in charge, he had attained a significant role in the palace. The king trusted him. He gave him a position of leadership, a position of influence. And when it came time to send the Jews back to Jerusalem, he took Nehemiah, you're going to go, you're going to be the governor. You're going to be in charge. I can rely on you. It's interesting how God often raises up leaders in the secular world to, uh, you know, to put them in positions of power or influence to bring about his will in the world. It happens a lot. Anyways, Nehemiah is named the governor of Jerusalem. Ezra is there. He's a priest, a scribe. And once the city of Jerusalem is rebuilt, they have a special day in which Ezra comes out and he reads the law of God to the people. Now, they've been in captivity for 70 years. Bring them all in. They've rebuilt it. They've done it. And all the people are here. Now, they haven't heard the word of God for 70 years. And before that, they had been disobedient. So Ezra stands up and he uh, begins to... Speak to them. I'm going to read to you the law, the, the word of God. I, I want you to listen to me. And so he, he begins to read. And of course the people are deeply touched and ashamed of what's happened. Man, you know, we really blew it. You know, we got punished good. 
The Lord has been faithful to us. I mean, he could have left us there, but now, look, we, we rebuilt our city. The, the temple is coming along. The, the walls are rebuilt. If you have your Bibles, turn to Nehemiah chapter 8. Now, this is an Old Testament book. And somebody's messing with me. They moved my... Probably Kaylin. He loves to pull out my bookmarks and stick them in other... I'm like, what? Anyways, uh, Nehemiah chapter 8 is where we're going to be. Let's move ahead here in our notes. Um, yeah, Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 9 and 10. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Now, I want to. I kind of set the scene for you, a little bit of the background history here. And so, Nehemiah chapter 8, I want to start at verse 9. It goes like this, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and the scribe, and the Levites, they're the like the worship team, think of them like that, okay? They taught the people, they said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. They were all, you know, having a fit, and oh, we're horrible people, we don't deserve, God's been so good. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people down, saying, you know, be quiet, you know, this day is holy, don't be grieved, don't cry anymore, it's all right, you can be happy. You can have some joy here. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they understood the words that were declared to them. The joy of the Lord was their strength. Yeah, we've had a rough time. We've been in captivity for 70 years, but God's been faithful to us. And I get it. We feel bad because we screwed up. But you know what? God is good, and God is faithful. Rejoice in that. Don't feel bad about it. Don't feel bad about the fact that you guys blew it again. You're going to blow it again. But our God is faithful. It's this joy in that the idea of God. That despite the fact that you're not always going to be happy, they could always look back and say, as bad as it gets, our God is still faithful. There are going to be some hard days ahead. So the people were encouraged to rejoice. They were on a brink of a new beginning. And that's cause for celebration. What is this joy of the Lord? Let's move ahead. Because I think the joy of the Lord is sort of the key to, to a happy Christian life. The joy of the Lord is the gladness of heart. Okay, the, the gladness of heart that comes from knowing God, abiding in Christ, being filled with the Holy Spirit. These are, that's where the foundation, that's where the source of joy comes from. So doesn't God want me to be happy? You know, does he want me to be blessed? Well, sure, he wants you to be happy. But he wants you to be happy with the things that are eternal, not the temporary. 
You know, it'd be nice if uh, every time I w- uh, hit a lottery ticket, I'd win. That ain't the way it works. Okay? You're going to go, boom, it ain't going to happen. And we've, we've spoken recently, the last month or so, about, you know, how do we deal with fear? How do we deal with, you know, bad things happen? How do we deal with these things? Those things are going to happen. But God doesn't want us to go through life slogging along, oh, woe is me. I'm such a miserable person. <laughs> Being a Christian sure is hard work. You know, I, yeah. God wants you to have joy. He wants you to be happy with the things that are eternal, not exactly temporary. In the book of Ecclesiastes, um, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, I told you, I mean, with the Bible here, I'm, I'm digging up some stuff that people haven't looked at for a long time. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 14. Uh, yep, 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 where are we? Yeah, here it is. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after the wind. You can see him, you know, you know, Solomon, who wrote this, I mean, he's kind of like, look, the whole point of this book is, he, I went through, Solomon was the, the, one of the richest men in the world, the wisest man, he went through his whole life, he had everything he ever wanted, money, women, land, power, fame, and at the end of it, he said, guess what, none of it brings you happiness, it's, as he says, you're chasing after the wind. You're not going to get it. It's always out of reach. You're never going to be happy going through life, trying to satisfy yourself, trying to find happiness with these temporary things. Things fail. Things break. When I was, uh, here we go again. Back in my day when I was a little kid, well, Christmas morning I woke up for this new toy. I wanted the Millennium Falcon. Star Wars, I had all my figures, man, and the, the Falcon was, was a big toy. And so we're playing with it. My friends, we're just, you know, I'm Han Solo flying this thing. Chewbacca's there. Well, somehow or another, I let go, and it fell down the stairs. I mean, the Falcon's going to jump to light speed. <laughs> yeah, hit light speed, all right. Tumbled about eight times, hit the floor. Well, the gun broke off, the cockpit broke off, the, the, one of the legs broke off, and I'm like, man, waited all this time to get this. This was cool. That thing broke already. It just wasn't as fun anymore. Well, life's like that. We, we, we wait for, to get these things. We have this idea that, man, this is, if I just get this, it's going to make things better. It's going to make things, this is what's going to make me happy only to get it, and it's like, man, nah, this is, maybe I better get something else. <laughs> you know, you're chasing the wind here. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. Uh, Ecclesi- Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. I might as well go ahead and read it. I got it right here. 
that's the end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for that's the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. What's the point? Look, at the end of when this life is over, it doesn't matter how many toys we've had, how many things we've chased after, how many adventures, because we're all going to end up in the same place. And that's why God wants us to look for the things that are eternal. Not the temporary, not the, the stuff, the toys, the, the chasing after that. That's not going to ultimately make you happy. Let's move ahead. If uh, Habakkuk, here's, man, you were really getting in, into the woods here. Habakkuk, uh, chapter 3. Though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail and the fields produce no food, Though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls. In other words, life stinks. Nothing's working out right. Things aren't working out at work. Things aren't working out at home. Man, it's just one thing after another. Verse 18, yet I will exalt in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. I don't care how bad it is. This guy was obviously a failure as a farmer. Big trees aren't blooming. There's no food out in the field. Looks like his flock ran off. There's no cattle in the stalls. I mean, what kind of a farmer is that? But you know what? He still praised the Lord. He said, you know what? I don't care. I'm going to rejoice in the Lord and take joy in the God of my salvation. Yeah, bad things happen to good people all the time. Sometimes it's scary, it's tough, but we can rejoice in the Lord of our salvation. He's the strength. We get an eternity of fellowship with him, with other believers in a perfect kingdom, like, like Larry was talking at communion time. Try Use your imagination and think what that will be like. Where we'll finally know what love really means. What peace is, what worship really is. Where we'll start to understand what real joy is. I don't know that God wants us to be happy so much as I think he wants us to be blessed and he wants us to be joyful. Let's turn to something a little more familiar. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, if you have read your Bibles, you know this is part of a sermon Jesus preached called the Sermon on the Mount. And in uh, chapter 5, he's going to go through a, a little group of sayings that are called the Beatitudes. Beautiful, beautiful attitudes. <laughs> the best way to think about you know. And as he goes through this, you know, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, starting at cha uh, chapter 5, verse 1. He went up on the mountain and he sat down. His disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were sent before you. I mean, the people are listening to Jesus, and they're thinking, he's going to tell us how to be happy. Tell us, Lord, you know, what, what's the secret here? What's the secret of life? What do I got to have? What do I got to know for life to make sense? And if we move ahead here, Jesus kind of shocks them a little bit. And he says, uh, you know, the happy ones are the ones who are poor in spirit. The happy ones are the ones who mourn. The happy ones are meek. The happy ones hunger and thirst for righteousness. They're merciful. They're pure in heart. They're peacemakers. They're persecuted for righteousness' sake. These are the blessed ones, the happy ones. That doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun to me. I don't want to be poor in spirit. I want to be happy. I don't like being bummed out. I don't like that. It's no fun when I mourn. I feel horrible. Blessed are the meek. There are times I like to walk around and, and just show off and, and really stick it to a few people. And man, there's some people I've just wanted to give them both barrels, baby. You know, but it, blessed are the meek. Boy, it sure make me happy, though. To, you can't do that. Blessed are the merciful, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, pure in heart, peacemakers. These are all noble, wonderful things, but I, I never really thought that they would bring me any kind of happiness. Maybe because what God is more interested in is the idea of being blessed. Blessed are these people. Because these things don't sound like they make you very happy, but they do kind of define, I think, the blessed life. The things that will bring you joy. Jesus explains that these people are blessed. If you, you do this, let's move to the next one. You will be blessed because of, for the reason, because you'll be blessed because you have the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God will be yours. You will have the comfort of God. God will comfort you. You'll have an inheritance, a part of the kingdom. You will have righteousness. You'll be able to illustrate and, and provide mercy to the world because God has given you mercy. You'll have, you're blessed because you have the hope of seeing God. Think of your friends. Think of the people in the world who don't know Christ. They're not going to see the kingdom of heaven. They're not going to receive an inheritance. They have no hope of, of obtaining mercy. They'll have no hope of seeing God himself. They'll never be called a son or a daughter of God. Jesus explains that people are blessed because they have these things. It's because of the kingdom, because of righteousness and mercy that I've received from God. It's, it's the hope that I have of seeing God someday, of going before the presence of God. And, and he'll probably look at me, John, 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 wow, 
What a life, man. You're my son. Think of that. Think of that. You see, this is, this is blessedness. This is happiness. No matter what happens to me, whether I lose all our money in our house, I lose my family, I lose these things in life, I am still blessed. So people looked at me a little funny a couple weeks ago where I said, I'm going to go into my work because I know my God goes before me, and if I get blasted by some nut with a gun or something, that's okay. I'm like, what? I don't want that to happen. Well, I don't either, really. You know, but the point is, if it does happen, hey, I have the kingdom of God. I have found mercy in Christ. My God comforts me. I have the hope of seeing God. I'll be called a son of God. And because of that, I can be joyful. Being a child of God, being a part of his kingdom, that's what happiness looks like. Not these temporary things in life. Took my truck in to get it fixed. They gave me a, a rental car, a Hyundai's uh, Sonata, or it's a Hyundai. I've never driven a Hyundai. I don't think I want a Hyundai. But still, it a brand. we jumped in the car and it's like... Ah, fresh car smell. You know, we, we're driving and, you know, it's like, life can't always be like that. Those little tiny moments. I want joy in my life. Happiness is great. I love being happy. But I know it's not going to last. But joy lasts. Joy goes on and on. Joy is eternal. But the trick to all of this is that you have to have fellowship with God. If you're struggling in, in, in a life without God, you're not going to be blessed. You're going to try to find your meaning and your hope in all these transitory, temporary things that don't matter a whole lot. We want to find something that's eternal. Turn to 1 John chapter 1. We'll be wrapping this up here shortly. We might have a pot roast in the oven or something. We've got to get home and get that sucker going. That'll make me happy. That'll bring me joy. You know, I, I like that kind of stuff. Anyways, 1 John talks about being in fellowship with God. Now, Jesus mentioned on the Sermon on the Mount, you know, blessed are people because of these things, because you're going to get this. None of those are temporary, transitory things. Those things exist for people who are in fellowship with Christ. That is not for your friend who doesn't believe. i got to get a little preachy here for a minute. People who don't trust in God, who don't believe God, those blessings will not be theirs. Sure, they might find happiness. They might make a lot of money and live a life of, of fun and women and this and that, but in, in the, the course of eternity, what's it going to get them? Solomon lived his life that way. At the end of his life, he said, what a waste. It's all like chasing the wind. So to be blessed, we have to have a relationship with God. We don't need to make God our ruler. He's going to be the judge up there. No. God wants to call you his son, his daughter. 
In the book of 1 John talks about this a little bit. Uh, let's move ahead to uh, 1 John chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. John's writing this. He says, what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our, what? Our joy may be complete. The only way to have fellowship with God, with his Son, and with one another is through this idea of fellowship with God. Move ahead, 1 John uh, 1, verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The only way to have fellowship with God, gang, is to uh, walk in the light, to be cleansed by the blood of Christ, to accept Jesus as that sacrifice for you, so that as you accept that, the slate is wiped clean. Your sins are forgiven. You're reborn. You're new. And as such, you can have joy, because no matter what happens to you, no matter how many people mess with you, make fun of you, steal from you, hurt you, the kingdom of heaven, is, of, the, of God, the kingdom of God is yours. You have the comfort of God. You'll be called a son or a daughter of God. It's interesting, ironically, when we use our own happiness as an excuse to sin, we're actually throwing away the only chance we have at true happiness. You know, we're exchanging the happiness and joy of fellowship with God for, as Hebrews says, the, the fleeting pleasures of sin. Now, is sin fun? Sure it is. I asked the kids in school, when we, we, we do a unit in psych with drinking and uh, drug use and stuff, and I'll, I'll tell us, you know, why do people use drugs? And the kids will sit there and they'll look at me. Because drugs are fun! And they look at me like, did he really say that? Well, why else would people do, you know, shoot themselves up and do all these things? And they think they're having a good time. Sin is fun. A couple weeks ago, some kid around here had a, they made little uh, muffins. And on the inside... They put like cream filling. Well, one of the muffins, they put like mustard in there, mayonnaise or something. Now, I got lucky. I got one of the good ones. But somebody got to bite into a muffin and is like, yeah, this is awesome. Because you know, there's nastiness in there. Isn't that the way sin is, though? Oh, it's so good when we first, oh, but then it's like, oh, man, I just bit into it. And that's nasty. And some of you may be asking this question. Let's move on. Do I have to be perfect to find joy? I hope not, because none of us will ever find it. None of us perfect. If you find a Christian who's walking around, I'm perfect. I, I'm it, man. I mean, you're looking at it. I mean, don't listen to that guy. That dude's probably ate up with guilt and sin and has done a great job of masking it and pretending that that it's not there. But of course you don't have to be perfect in order to enjoy fellowship with God. But I think we do have to confess our sins. We have to repent, which means to turn away, to forsake them, 
That can be a lifelong process on some things. There are certain things that I get, have been engaged in in my life that are despicable. And I pray to God, Lord, take this away from me. I don't understand why, you know. Sometimes God says, hey, you're stuck with it, buddy. My grace is sufficient. But you're going to struggle with this. You're going to struggle with it. But I don't have to be perfect. I have a life that's been forgiven. And that's what the gospel is all about. We're all dead in our trespasses and sins. But God extends to us an offer, an offer to be in fellowship with him. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3 through 7. We'll, we'll close with this. I'll read the one up here. Among them, too, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh. This was, this was a giant, uh, like an AA meeting. We'd all sit around, hello, I'm a sinner, and this is what I did. And it's funny how when you talk about, or your friends, you know, back when I, before I was a Christian, I did this. Yeah, well, and then it's like everybody tries to over you know, one-up each other as you go around the room. So by the time you get around to the last guy, he's like a, I killed people, and I'm a, a horrible person. Well, anyways, among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of the flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest of you guys, everybody, people who haven't accepted Christ. We were all there. We've been there. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, he loved you. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive. Together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing richness of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God saved you because he loves you. And so that he can go through eternity saying, look, I'm a merciful God. These guys prove it. Look at these guys. <laughs> this is what grace does. Because of my great love for you, even when you were dead in your sins, Christ died for you because he wants you to be blessed. He's not a cosmic killjoy trying to take all the fun out of life. He's trying to give you a life that you might have it more abundantly. And you find that through joy, not through temporary happiness, but through the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. So while we try our best to live within God's grace and experience his blessings, we can be confident that our strength, our source of satisfaction in life, the whole point of being alive, is based on the joy of the Lord. Because my God has forgiven me. I'm blessed. And he did it all. It's nothing I did. Jesus took the place when we had communion up here today. I mean, the, the, the bread signifies his body, which was broken, busted up, beaten up and killed for you. The wine was his blood that was shed to buy your mercy. That's something 
like the people of Israel, it might make you want to cry about. It might make you want to feel bad about. Man, he did that for me? I'm a sinner. Why would he do that? And God comes along and says, hey, don't cry. Be happy. Rejoice. I've done this for you. I've shown you my mercy. I've shown you my grace. That's something to be joyful about. Don't hang your head. Because I love you. I want to bless you. I want to give you joy. I want to give you peace. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you so much that the Christian life doesn't have to be a bore. We're happy that you've taught us that real joy comes from the knowledge and the understanding that we have an eternity with you. That because of your own grace, because you chose to do it, you reached down and you saved us through the, the shed blood of Christ. Lord, we thank you for that. And that's something we can all be fired up about. Something we can all think about. Even when things are bad, Lord, we know you love us. We know you go before us. And we know that you are our God. Father, we love you today in the name of Jesus. Amen.